Welcome to the Freedom from Anxiety podcast. This is episode four. I'm Trisha Easter, and I'm here with my husband, Marty. Good morning. I'm an anxiety coach, author of Bold Trust, Six Steps to Unravel the Long-Term Effects of Gaslighting, Unapologetically Trust Yourself and Heal Anxiety. And I kind of also see myself as a truth teller as well. Three things I want you to know, I mean, before every podcast I've been starting with this, because I feel like it's really important to know, is number one, you've done nothing wrong. If you have anxiety, it is not your fault. Number two, you're not alone. Many other people have anxiety just because of the stigma. It's not talked about. And three, you can absolutely heal anxiety. So today we're starting, we're talking about chapter three from my book. And chapter three is, a, is um, I trust that I am fully supported. This is a really important chapter. Actually, it's, and it's something I feel like we're, we're going through right now. I feel like. Um, I feel like we're constantly going through it as we kind of unravel all these layers of, quite honestly, dysfunction that was in our lives. So I I wrote Bold Trust because it was a, you know, I I'd had a debilitating anxiety for 20 years that got progressively worse as I handed my trust and essentially my power over to the so-called experts and from conventional medicine, holistic medicine, um, to be honest, toxic uh, counselors, um, toxic spiritually supportive people, and finally realizing that I had the answers within myself. And once I started to put my power back in myself, my trust back in myself, that is how I healed anxiety. And that is why I wrote Bull Trust. So chapter three is such an important chapter is what does true support look like or feel like? Many times if we've been in toxic relationships, dysfunctional relationships, it's all you know. So what I I really tried hard in this chapter to break down what true support feels like, because if you've never had it, it's hard to know what to look for. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about support, I kind of see it as, um, like if you're thinking of a house, the foundation is, I talk about more in the next chapter, that's more your self-worth, your self-love, that's the foundation of your home. The columns that support your homes, the infrastructure, that's the support. And you need a solid support to help distribute the weight of your house to keep everything strong. And for us, we need good support and we need to be supported in order to heal anxiety. We cannot heal anxiety unless we are, unless we have support. Otherwise, we're just draining our energy reserves. And so one of the things I talk about is the, uh, I love reading memoirs, or other stories of like these people who have have overcome adversities and achieved great success. And what I realized reading these stories is that the common theme behind them was there is always somebody or a group of people, a support system behind these people. And I think, and while I love reading these stories and I think it's wonderful, but it made me sad 
because I was like, what if you don't come from this? What if you don't have the support? What, I mean, what happens then? Do you not, mm-hmm. are you, can you not be successful? And I would say a support system is definitely an advantage. I would say it's a, um, so true support, if you are fully supported, which we all have the potential to be fully supported, it truly is a healthy privilege to have. It's a, it's a leg up and it makes all the difference. So let's talk about what it means to get spiritual support. So there's, I'd say three aspects of support. There's spiritual support, which I feel is the first part of it. And then there's also emotional slash physical support. They kind of go, I kind of see how they go together. So spiritual support is turning to your divine guidance to help you navigate anxiety, the relationships in your life, and to help you build a a solid support system. It's when you welcome in the divine, it's incredibly powerful. There's a lot of strength. And oftentimes, God, the angels, the divine, who whatever form you pray to, they have clean, clear vision. A lot of times our vision is obstructed by distractions, maybe things that have happened to us. But they it's almost like they're like, I can call it like an eagle. They can come above the situation. You have like a bird's eye view, which brings in clarity. Because it's not only like what you can see physically, but seeing through the truth, through illusions, which I'll get to in a minute, through the energy. It gets just really just kind of hones on the truth. So welcoming in your spiritual support is incredibly powerful. And I kind of see it in two steps. The first step is opening yourself up to connect with the divine, welcoming their support, saying prayers of, you know, I, I, I did a three-year intensive angel study with Kyle Gray. And part of it was saying, thank you for supporting me. Thank you for helping me with this. When you say thank you, this is what Kyle Gray taught, is you're acknowledging that the support is right already here, that it you trust that it'll happen. So that's the first step is opening and connecting with the divine. The second step is allowing and trusting the divine to support and guide you to piece together a solid support system. So one, you're opening yourself up and saying, yes, I want your support. And two is when you get the support, not only welcoming it in, but trusting the guidance that you're getting. And I like to think of creating a spirit team and it can be however big or small you want, but that's what I call like a spirit team. And you get to choose who you want as part of your spirit team. Part of my spirit team is um, obviously God, Jesus, Mary, and also Archangel Michael is constantly, I feel like, showing himself in my life Mm -hmm. and also... Saint Germain and Saint Germain is he's a um ascended master that's about transformation and it was really interesting that knowing that he was going to be part of my spirit team it just again a kind of a lot of synchronous events which I'll talk about synchronicity later on in this podcast but it was a you know we listened to 
once in a while we listen to the Mysterious Universe podcast, which is hysterical, but also really interesting. Mm -hmm. And they had an episode about St. Germain about this time that I was thinking about. So I listened to that. And then I had ordered um, a some crystals. And so, again, part of what I learned is working with crystals is whatever shape you get them in is the part where you'll have healing. So if you get like a, I have, you know, like I love rose quartz and that's about being, I feel like being gentle with yourself, heart healing and if you get like a rose quartz crystal in the shape of your heart, that brings healing to your heart. Well, I have, it sounds kind of morbid, but I have these crystal skulls because with anxiety that I feel like that brings healing to my, my, my head. (laughs) Since it's a mental health thing, I have crystal skulls. So I bought an amethyst crystal skull and about this time with St. Germain, there was a, it came with, if you look at the, the left side on this skull, there's triangle, like there's a big, bigger triangle and a little triangle, like kind of like those like little Russian dolls. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just triangle after triangle after triangle inside each other. And which the triangle is also an, like an alchemy symbol, which St. Germain was all about alchemy. And the the triangle symbolizes fire, passion, love, mm-hmm. anger. I just thought that was, it was, it was pretty cool. So long story, but that, so St. Germain is on my spirit team. And I recommend Kyle Gray has a couple books I mean, you don't have to if you have any other ones, that's fine. But Angel Prayers by Kyle Gray, Divine Masters, Ancient Wisdom by Kyle Gray. They describe each of these angels, the archangels and uh, ascended masters. And so it's just who you want to, these spiritual leaders, who you want to bring into your spirit team to help support you on your healing path. So, you know, chapter one is about trusting your feelings, emotions. Chapter two was about eating and exercising intuitively. So at this point, when you get messages and uh, signs from feeling signs from your spirit team, they'll, they'll most likely present themselves as feelings. That's the bulk of it, but there might be other signs as well. But you'll be able now to trust these feelings that you get because you're building this trust in yourself. So when you feel like, if you're in a situation like, hmm, this isn't right, that's your intuition. And that's also your spirit team saying, this isn't right for you. So their guidance, they're always here guiding you always. And they want you to know that you're never alone. And when you're working with uh, the divine and you're working with your spirit team, it requires surrender, vulnerability, and trust. And it probably sounds easier just to say, but it's, it is hard to do. I mm-hmm. It is. And I think especially with anxiety for me, I can say personally, I want um, certain situations. I want a certain level of control because I want to avoid pain. I want to avoid hurt. I want to, you know, I think sometimes I sense these things are going to happen. And it's not that my senses are wrong, but, you know, again, it goes back to that old prayer of accepting the things you can change or knowing the things you can change and accepting those that you can't. Mm -hmm. But the big part is surrendering to 
your divine team to help you with that. And you don't know how, you know, when you're working with the divine, you don't, again, it's part of that control piece. You don't have to know the end outcome. You don't have to know all the steps to get to that outcome. You just have to know the next step, maybe the next two steps that you need to take. And then after that, the next one will be shown to you. I'm going to read a little section from my book, a couple sections. Trusting your divine support can look like saying no to someone or something, even when on paper everything looks good. It's trusting the messages and guidance that you that say not everything is as it seems at first glance. As you trust the divine and yourself, you'll dig a little deeper and see that you and your support team are right, and you'll feel more confident about your decisions. Other times, trusting your spirit team will mean following all of the clear yes, yes messages that are coming your way. A good example of this would be, you know, our daughter, she rides horses Mm -hmm. and the barn that she used to be at, they stopped offering lessons to those that didn't own horses. They were only offering lessons to those that had their own own horses that were boarding at the barn. So we were in the process of looking at other barns and we found one that was just a lot of girls thrown into a lesson and it, it... it checked the boxes. It had an indoor arena for the winters because we live in New England, so we have, you know, long winters. <laughs> and um, But they, you know, they, the, the barn checked all the blocks, but she wasn't getting good instruction. And it was just kind of like uh, almost like a lesson factory. So she was just... It it kept her in the saddle, but she wasn't growing as a rider. So we found this one. I had seen this one barn, you know, doing research for a while because it it is, it takes a lot of time to find a next, another barn to go to. And it was definitely closer. The other one was about 45 minutes away, 45, Mm -hmm. 50 minutes away. This new barn where she's at now, which we absolutely love, is at most 20 minutes away and (laughs) we got there and it it does not have an indoor arena we checked out the barn what november december going into winter knowing that there was no indoor arena but the level of instruction was fantastic and it had just much more of a grounded uh, we saw one of the students and she just she looked great she had a great seat Mm -hmm. and Again, just the level and the detail of instruction that went into the riding. My daughter had never had this before at any of the barns she's been at. And it was one of those things of like, even though, you know, this is a small barn, it's not very big, even though they have no indoor arena. And we did, to even make sure we were right, we did two lessons just to make sure it wasn't a fluke thing, just to make sure before we switched. Mm I'm like, yep, this is this is where she needs to be. This is where she needs to go. And we switched, even though the other barn, everything on paper looked better. So that's part of trusting the guidance, trusting the, you know, what you're seeing. And and again, it's like we didn't have to drive further to get to, right. you know, we found the right fit that was for us. So anyways, just things kind of came into an alignment. It wasn't the obvious choice, but it was the, the clear choice once you looked at all the exactly. signs there. Exactly, yeah. So your spirit team will try to communicate with you, 
Bear team will communicate with you in many different ways. Some of the different ways are, the first one would be synchronicities. And I think I talked about this before with the whole St. Germain thing. I happened to order this amethyst crystal skull and it had, you know, I felt like that was a little a little sign from just, and I didn't see it in the picture, the triangles, but when I got it, it had all the triangles. So I would say synchronicity is also a, like a God, you can call it like a God incidence or God incidence. Yeah, God incidents. Mm-hmm. It's when certain things just kind of, of al- come into alignment at the right time. Right. Like it's, you know, for example, if you're in the grocery store, you're in your car and you hear a certain song or a message, that per- that's, that's exactly what you need. That's synchronicity and it's just sometimes it's a message for you sometimes it's just hey we're here we're supporting you it could be feelings that you feel it could be sounds that you hear sometimes i know i've heard like someone's talking to me in my ear mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen a lot but once in a while i have heard i've heard messages from my spirit team one time i was um we were getting ready to fly home for we had a family member that was sick and a family member that i had a really hard time with and I was terrified to fly, and I knew we were going to have to take a, what kind of plane? Did, a C-130? Oh, a C-130, yeah. We t- took a C-130. My We just had our boys then. We, we didn't have my daughter yet. And we are going to have to fly from, like, cross-country from Colorado to Virginia. And I don't like to fly. And, again, it was a last-minute flight. And this person ended up being okay and is fine now. But... They were in the hospital at the time, so we, you know, taking the last minute flight, you know, on this plane, I was so nervous. I was shaking days before. um, I was having a hard time eating. I was so nervous. And at that point, I wasn't really praying a lot because of the way I was raised, I was taught, you know, that there's people with bigger problems that need help. And I also was also like a certain amount of fear in praying, praying too, because I felt like if I asked what I meant, sometimes something I, I was afraid. Sometimes it was just some of the messages I heard, like something bad would happen to me in order for me to get what I want. And also too, like that, I think some of that guilt too, like oh, there's other people that have it worse than you, so you shouldn't pray. But so this was one of the times I finally, I was so nervous. I prayed, and I said. I need help. Thank you for helping me. And I, because I rarely, at that point, I rarely reached out for help. And I wish I had that because it is, it is so powerful. And that night before I went to bed, you know, when you're kind of in between like sleep, you're not fully asleep, but you're not really awake. Kind of, you know, you're not in a deep sleep yet. It was this voice in my ear said, it's not the flying you're afraid of. It's the visit with this person. I'll tell you, after I heard that, my stress and anxiety about flying, it wasn't completely gone, but it went down, I would say, at least two, two, three notches. It it helped. Mm -hmm. Some other ways the divine tries to um, communicate with you is also through visions. Either you actually see something or you have some, you see something in your, um, your third eye, you know, like kind of like a a vision in your mind those are also messages from the divine 
sometimes seeing numbers like repeating um, numbers like 1111, 444, or like a, a certain number sequence. That's again, your spirit team trying to communicate with you. I would say the biggest thing with communicating with the divine and your spirit team is if you think you're getting a message, you are. Just stop right there. You know, try to, you're like, I think so many of us second guess, like we talk ourselves out of, oh, maybe it's not this. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just imagining it. You're not. If you're getting a message, trust that's that's what it is. And the more you trust those, the more you'll get. Mm-hmm. And, and so the next when you talk about in your book is uh, emotional and physical support. Can you can you describe those? Yep, emotional and physical support is kind of like your earthly support. You know, so you have your divine support, and then you need some like um, physical support around you that supports you emotionally, physically, and you know the path to finding this physical emotional support. The first step I would say is illusions, which is, I believe, my next blog that's coming out. I'm not sure if it'll come out before or after we finish editing this podcast. But I would say illusions is partly, probably the hardest part in developing the support because it's like peeling an onion. You're seeing people for who they really are rather than who we need them to be or who they're pretending to be. It's honestly, it can be heartbreaking because you, you know, it's hard to see people. It's hard to see that not everybody is empathic. It's hard to see that not everybody has, is kind and has kind intentions. It's hard to see people being selfish, self-centered and dysfunctional. So this is a, another excerpt from my book talking about illusions. When you see through illusions, you may get clarity about someone who is in a position of authority and who is in fact abusing their power. Illusions lifting may also manifest by seeing a close friend whom you believed was genuine and kind behave maliciously and selfishly. Removing illusions can be accepting the truth about your parent or partner that despite their title as parent or partner, they are completely unsupportive of you. Seeing through illusions is seeing the truth no matter how hard and uncomfortable the truth is. The first few illusions may be hard to see, but seeing the truth will get easier. And seeing the truth, I'll kind of add on to that, truly does free you. And and I'm not going to talk too much about illusions because my my blog comes out and I feel like it does goes into more depth about this. Mm-hmm. But you need to see through these illusions again, no matter how the hard the truth is, because living in these illusions and staying in any kind of dysfunctional relationships, environments, situations, it weighs you down. And by weighing you down, not only is it draining, does it affect you? It drains you financially, energetically. It takes a toll on your health, your mental health, your physical health. It, it, it definitely takes a toll, I think. So we need to see through these illusions so we can cut these these dead weights from us so that we can be free. Because that's what anxiety is. Anything that 
is trying to get us to hide our light, to dampen our light, anything that is getting us, that is affecting our freedom, you know, especially our, our emotional freedom, that's when anxiety comes up. So it's, an, it's, an, it's hard to do, but it's something that needs to be done. And another thing I talk about, so, you know, and looking at support is these uh, relationships is talking about 110%. I used to feel like in my relationships, and this came to a self-worth issue, is I had to give 110% of myself. I just thought if, you know, I was grateful for anybody who was friends with me, because I, again, I just didn't feel like I was worthy. And so I was used to giving 110%. And so I talk about this in my book. So if, if I'm giving, oh, let's just say like, 90% and someone's giving me 10%. That 10% I'm getting back is unsustainable. I am continually depleting myself if I am giving, if I, and, and again, in relationships, it's not always going to be equitable all the time, but over time it will be, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's periods of time when I need support more. And there's other times when someone, you know, someone else might be you need more support. And it, it just kind of goes back and forth. I also talk about breadcrumbs. And this is, so I, I definitely, I, I love Dr. Romani's work, who is the, she's an author, psychologist, and honestly, just very knowledgeable in the area of narcissism. She talks about breadcrumbs, but I honestly, this is something I had thought about before reading her stuff. And it's breadcrumbs is like when you're in a toxic relationship and somebody says, like, for example, it, it, you know, there's like a lot of invalidation. And I also have another blog that's out about invalidation. And that's kind of my, I feel like that's my theme for this year is I am done being invalidated. I will not stand for another minute because it does take a toll on your mental health. And it's a, and honestly, I feel like invalidation is also a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. So breadcrumbs is, for example, you've been invalidated, you've been gaslit, and someone occasionally tosses you a compliment, like, oh, good job. And it's, you know, whether they want something for you, from you for, you know, a moment or, and that breadcrumb is addicting because where you've, and I use this example, like you've been in this desert and you're dying of thirst and then you get a sip of water. That's what that breadcrumb is, a sip of water, but you only get one sip and it feels so good and it tastes so good. And it's what your body desperately needs. Yet it's just one sip and that is not enough for you to survive. When you're in any relationship, whether it's a business relationship, a professional relationship, a personal relationship, you need the whole loaf and nothing nothing less. Right. Yeah. Just enough to keep you hooked in right and in these dysfunctional relationships where you know if you are getting invalidated and where there are multiple illusions it's hard to see what the truth is and there's a lot of say like enmeshment and it's hard to individuate between what are your true feelings what are your narratives what are your own beliefs and really the heart of it is what are your own needs Versus what someone is telling you your needs are, what someone is saying, this is how you are. 
And I think the underlying message for many of these toxic relationships is the, the toxic person, the underlying message that they're trying to convey, because this is how they feel about themselves. So they are trying to project it onto everybody else is you're not good enough. So with anxiety, there is no more, if you want to heal anxiety, there is no more room for these relationships. They have got to end. And if it's something that you can't end as much distance and space between the toxic relationship, Mm -hmm. toxic environment, whatever. And I mean, these relationships can be friends. Like I talked about colleagues, family, business relationships. So, you use the word uh, gaslighting in the, the subtitle of, of your book. So how does narcissism play into that? So I, gaslighting is a tactic that night narcissism, nar, excuse me, that narcissists use. I do feel like as I was writing my book that there were constant underlying themes of narcissism. So that's why I brought narcissism more out into the open about it because it was such an underlying theme with everything that I was writing. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Romani, who I talked about before, Dr. Christiane Northrup, who wrote Dodging Energy Energy Vampires, which is fantastic as well, because essentially that's what these narcissists do. They, they're like energy vampires. They will suck you dry. And the common thing, both books have common descriptions about narcissism, But the one thing that really stuck out to me that both of them said is that narcissists are unlikely to change. Mm -hmm. The ones that have to change are us who are experiencing the abuse from narcissism is we have to adjust our expectations. We have to adjust our boundaries. And honestly, just some of these people just no contact. So the seven main narcissist traits that Dr. Romani talks about in her book, Don't You Know Who I Am? She talks, the first one is grandiosity, which is, and I feel like for me, my experiences, this is the biggest tip off of somebody who's a narcissist is a grandiosity because most grounded people don't talk like this. And it can look different in different things. Like it could be the small town person talking about how good, you know, how important they are in their community and how well, you know, how everybody adores them in their church. It could be a professional saying, oh, they are the best at their job and they are doing so much better than everybody else and how they're at the top. Mm-hmm. It could be, I mean... I mean, there's many examples. <laughs> right, yeah. It's the the, the one-uppers, right? They always have to be yes. have the biggest experience and the biggest story. And, yeah. Um, the, so the, I feel like the grandiosity piece, just from my own experiences, and again, I would, you know, just remember that it will look different depending on the environment and the situation. But anybody who... Um, is constantly bolstering themselves up above everybody else. And, you know, they cannot compliment you without, and if they did, they have to compliment themselves first. That, I think that's the, 
That's the big one. Yeah. The other one, I this is in, they're all really big, I think. But I feel like the grandiosity piece is just, I guess for me, it's just so bizarre because that is not how I talk. That's not how we talk. That for me, that's what I kind of hold on to as my, I still remember the other traits, but that's the one I kind of hold on to like, hey, pay attention. Mm -hmm. Um, Entitlement. I can't tell you how many businesses we've interacted that feel like they are entitled to our money, regardless, you know, of the service they provide. And a lot of times they skimp on their services and they still feel like they're entitled to your money. And it's. I, I am blown away by that every time. Mm-hmm. The other one is lack of empathy. They just can't even put themselves in somebody else's shoes. Yeah, I think that um, when I read through this list, the entitlement and the lack of empathy made me think about hundreds of memes on the internet of people who have just put those two together, you know, where they, uh, they feel like they're entitled to something and they can't put themselves in the other person's shoes even for a minute and, and just really like make a scene over something that should not be a big deal. You know? Well, they call them like the Karens. The Karens. Yeah. I was <laughs> not good. I was trying not to use that word, but yeah, it's not. Kinda, yeah. But... Um, Cause it's, you know, there's, there's definitely guys who show the same thing, but. Uh... Well, and the thing is though, too, like they, I've seen some things like about, you know, the Karens. Sometimes there is a time and a place that you stand up for something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like sometimes that's getting diluted because it's like there's a time and a place where something is unjust or unfair or and you need to stand up for yourself. It's like and just because you stand up for yourself doesn't make doesn't make you the Karen. But yeah, it's it's that combination in my mind of you're entitled to something even if you didn't earn it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you're not sensitive to what the other person's going through on the other end of the. You exactly. Know, you know when you're when you're when the flight gets delayed, yet somehow you're more important than the other 200 people on that flight, and you're going to make a huge scene. Right. That's you know that's it, it's not the you know the person on the other side of the counter is not the one who canceled your flight. It's it's not their fault. Yelling is not going to help. And then the other one is validation seeking, and it's it's bizarre again all these things are so crazy because the people who are these people are seeking in constant validation like look i'm the best and, and, and it kind of i feel like it's tied to the grandiosity mm-hmm. aren't i really good at this and look look at me in this you know it's just but yet they're the ones that invalidate other people mm-hmm. and because they need all of that attention for themselves Narcissists are incredibly superficial. So superficiality, that's the next one. And uh, yeah, absolutely. They're just yeah. looking at, like you say, competing with the Joneses. I feel like narcissism, narcissists are more willing to abuse their bodies to get it to look in a, a certain way. I've, I've seen this time and time again because of that superficial piece. The other one is hypersensitivity to criticism i mean obviously they will dish it out but they will not tolerate a minute of it for themselves Mm -hmm. or they'll and the lack of ability to accept ownership for their their mistakes right Right. i think that's what's really just can't look at themselves and can't accept any responsibility for right and then the this is another big one too emotional dysregulation so they are just, I feel like they're constantly unhinged. And what they want, and this is the thing with narcissists, is 
because they're so emotionally unregulated, they will create drama and to unhinge other people so they feel better about themselves. Like, oh, see, you're the problem. Rather than, and again, these people, so I want to be clear too, we all occasionally exhibit traits of narcissism. We all do. But the thing is with narcissists is these are pathological. They're done consistently, habitually, all the time. And if you are even thinking that you're a narcissist after listening to these traits, that is a telltale sign that you're not because a narcissist will never reflect inward on themselves. They do not have that capacity. Mm-hmm. And this kind of brings me to the quote at the be- that I start the chapter of my book is, Accept Me at My Strongest, Support Me at My Weakest by Malika E. Nura. And that's about many of these narcissists, they're threatened by you when you're doing well, but they also can't tolerate it when you're not doing well. It's almost like you're a burden, like, ooh, get away from me. You're, you're having a hard time. I can't be bothered. And I was listening to Dr. Romani's podcast, podcast, Navigating Narcissism, and she was, her guest was Juliet Lando, who I think she was on like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and is maybe a producer now or and she brought up a really interesting thing during the podcast she said the narcissist wants you to do well because they see you as a reflection of them but they don't want you to do too well so that you outshine them back to that quote strongest they're jealous or threatened weakest can't be bothered again it's that lack of empathy piece it causes anxiety when you're in a relationship with these people because they give you really small parameters in which you can exist in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have down days, but you can't be too good. You just have to, they want you to be mediocre all the time. Mm-hmm. So these dysfunctional, as I mentioned before, uh, relationships, they are layered. It's like peeling back a, an onion. And I want to say, like for me, the first steps were of peeling back this onion was the business type relationships we we're in, seeing those, and maybe some friends that we didn't quote unquote friends that we didn't see too much, mm-hmm. and then peeling back the the layers of the onion, we kept seeing how I think this I kept seeing how these relationships were actually closer and around us more than I realized. It was almost like being knowledgeable about these relationships, seeing through the illusions. It was almost like living in the twilight zone because I realized like, oh my gosh, I am surrounded by them. And, you know, in the book, I talk about the movie, um, there's something about Mary Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Ultimately, these these people are, and I feel like this is a good example about narcissism because these guys are around Mary. They all want to date her. They all want to be a part of her life. And they're all like physically and, you know, changing what they look like, emotionally trying to pretend to be somebody they weren't. And that's essentially what narcissism is. And at the end of the movie, Ben Stiller says, you know, this isn't love. I don't, you know, I don't know what this is, but it's, it's narcissism. Mm -hmm. And it's not even that they love 
Mary. They just like how they, how she makes them feel about themselves. And I think that's essential. That's the thing with narcissistic relationships is how, and I want to just kind of put it out there too. I am not the expert in this. I've just experienced so much of this in my life. And I, right. I'm the expert of myself in this. And I'm just sharing the lessons that I've learned. But that's what I've realized is that these narcissistic relationships are not about, they're not based on anything real. There's no true love. It's about how you make them feel about themselves. Again, it comes back to themselves. That Again, that lack of empathy. And the thing is, so they give you these small parameters in which to exist. And then as Dr. Romney talks about too, is that they are always with narcissists. So I'm going to say those parameters are like the goalposts. Then that's where you can exist. But the goalposts are always shifting. So not only do can you just be small, they, they want you to be small, they want you to be mediocre, but they're always changing. And so that that creates so much anxiety. Yeah, it, there's a, a, an example I can think of where that kind of turned into almost a physical example where um, someone I was in the Air Force with, you know, this group we went out, that went out on a, a hike and the snow turned out to be kind of deeper than expected. Um, so, but this person who was in a leadership position, but at the same time was really kind of very competitive with everyone, physically speaking. So, um, in terms of physical fitness, in terms of physical fitness. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so he, we went on this hike and this person, um, on, on the way back basically had to show that he could get back through the snow before everybody else. And so really just left everybody else falling behind, even though some of these people were clearly slower and, and, and weaker and you know, not in as good a shape. But, and, and no one would have argued that, but by physically leaving them behind because they couldn't keep up, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not leadership, certainly. And that's not even like mm-hmm. human compassion of let's make sure everybody finishes together and, and do this as a, as a group, right? It's supposed to be a team building activity and, and you left the, you left a big chunk of the group behind. Well, and as a leader, you're not supposed to leave right. anyone. Know, exactly. Especially in the military. Exactly. And, and so, but it was, but the case was, it was all about them. You know, they had to be, they had to be the top dog. They had to, uh, to show everyone they were the top dog, no matter what, what was left behind or again, physically left behind in the process. And, and also too, like I had, met this person a few times as well and met their spouse and the spouse was really good at this really was a really good artist yeah and had created some beautiful pieces of art yeah and we were commenting on it I was like oh that's beautiful that looks really that looks awesome well this toxic individual took credit for their spouse's art right like, well, it was my idea. I, I'm i the one that said they should do it like this. And right. it was, I, I definitely took note of that. <laughs> and I, I feel like right now too, in the media, there is a lot of backlash about narcissism because it is coming up a lot. But I kind of feel like those are the ones who are narcissists. They don't want to be called out. They don't want people to be educated. They want to be able to keep doing what they're doing. And so, like, oh, not everything is narcissism, 
And it's not, but there's a lot of it. And these narcissistic relationships, what they have, that what they cause people to do is like, like if you're in a relationship with somebody who's narcissistic, you become hyper vigilant, and you feel like you're walking on eggshells. And I know oftentimes for myself, I feel like, oh, what the heck just happened? Mm-hmm. What is going? It just, and that's part of the illusions. It's just it creates confusion and like smoke and mirrors to hide so to hide what's really going on with them and we have to become knowledgeable so we can avoid these relationships i feel like we all need to become educated on this so it's a a life skill to to know about this because what it does like i said it, it creates anxiety so i think if we can become knowledgeable about these types of relationships we're less prone to internalize it because I think what happens is because of the gaslighting and the validation and all the things I've mentioned is we tend to internalize like what's wrong with me? What do I do? And so you're constantly bending and adjusting and altering yourself because again, you have these small parameters Mm -hmm. to exist in and with the goalpost constantly changing. Right. And so... I think we have to be knowledgeable and we also have to establish firm boundaries as to what you will and will not allow in your life because it will affect you. It will detract from you. Anxiety is your body. Your body, there's so much more we don't really know about our bodies and our minds. And I believe our bodies and minds, they are picking up on the energy of these relationships. And Anxiety is that warning system, that warning bell going off saying, hey, not everything is right. Something is not safe for you. Something is going to take away from your freedom. Mm-hmm. So what should you do once you're able to start spotting these toxic or narcissistic relationships? Release them. You know, you cannot hold space for these Emotionally, physically, you cannot hold space for these people anymore. Um, The people, these are the people who probably judge you for anxiety, for having anxiety. And then they'll also judge you for trying to heal anxiety. Mm -hmm. There's just, there's no room for these people. And I understand that there's this fear of being alone and, and it can feel lonely when, especially when you're surrounded, like if you... If this is what you're used to, you're probably surrounded by narcissists. And as you release the relationships, it will feel lonely at first. But being alone is better than being in these abusive relationships. Your body needs time to to heal. Your nervous system, these relationships wreak havoc on our nervous system. Because we're in a constant state of fight or flight. Remember, small parameters to exist and the goalposts are always changing. I talked about an earlier, I think it was chapter two, about the adrenaline cycle. I also have like some blogs out about the adrenaline cycle. It activates, these relationships activate adrenaline in us, which again takes a toll on our nervous system because adrenaline is very, a very corrosive, it's just very corrosive to our bodies. So I have these questions about, in my book, about, you know, discerning relationships you need to release. So 
these are just some of the questions. It just kind of like gets you started thinking about these relationships. Like, how do you feel most of the time in these relationships? Does this relationship make you constantly doubt yourself? Do you feel safe showing your true self in this relationship? Are you supposed, are you supported for your successes as well as your losses? Is this relationship meeting your needs? Do you feel seen and heard in this relationship? And one of the things to that Dr. Ramani talks about is like benefit of the doubt. For some reason, our society thinks highly, like strongly enforces that we give someone the benefit of the doubt. But I disagree. I feel like we know, our intuition knows when we get a feeling about somebody. And so when we're repeatedly giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, we are effective, you know, effectively excusing their bad behavior. Right. It's not, it's not that you can't sometimes give people a benefit of the doubt, but if nobody gets a blank check on how many, like if you're doing it all the time, that's the right. warning sign, right? Right. And also too, I think what happens is when you are giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, you're also second guessing your intuition, which I feel like also creates mm-hmm. distrusting your body and fuels anxiety. So as I was trying, uh, when I started my healing journey, one of the the slogans I had for myself, so one of the slogans I had for myself was, "You're either with me or get the heck out of my my way." <laughs> Except I wasn't thinking the word heck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's basically, okay, if you're unsupported, I, and I think that's kind of like that invalidation, like I'm done being invalidated. I'm done being gaslit. I'm done other people trying to push their narratives on me. And it's because I'm beyond frustrated with the time, the money, the energy that I've essentially wasted. And I'm not willing to compromise my, myself for a minute longer and it's like, I, you know, that slogan is like, I will never be held back again. I will never allow myself to exist under these small parameters, this small goalposts, goalposts where, where they're constantly shifting. I, I'm not doing that to myself. My body, my mind, my soul wants freedom. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us that have anxiety, our body, minds, and souls craves that freedom. That is not what... God wants for us. That's not what our soul wants for us. And one of the things to talk about too is when you let go of these relationships, it is also normal to experience grief because initially there's like for me, when I let go of these relationships or, you know, distance myself from it, initially the first feeling was relief. I was like, whew, Okay. But there will be some grief too. There may be, maybe there won't be. But if there is grief, that is normal too. Because I realized the grief for me was what these relationships could have been. What I would have liked them to have been. And the grief is, and that's the hard part about seeing through the illusions, is not only are they not like that, they will never be like that. Mm-hmm. That is the grief. And that's the part of it, just adjusting your expectations so you're not holding out hope for something or someone that will never happen, but instead you're putting that hope in yourself that you will give it to yourself. Right. And, and then later in the chapter, 
you start you move this conversation over to true support. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that? Yes. So true support is because again, when you're in these relationships, it's hard to really see what they if if this is all you know, it's hard to know what true support looks like. And it's essentially support that goes both ways. It's not one-sided. It's a relationship where you are seen and heard as and validated. And because, you know, obviously you're doing that for the other person, but you also need that as well. A lot of times when we're in these toxic relationships, we don't know how to receive because we're so like the 110% piece I was talking about. Mm-hmm. It's hard. You have to sort of learn how to receive in relationships when you've constantly been the one giving and you know many people talk about you know relationships you know it goes both ways they talk about it in terms of give and take and I don't like that I like to say it's like share and receive you share of yourself and what I like about the word share is it implies that you share only when you have more than enough for yourself you share what you have extra of that you're willing to that you more than willing that you want to mm-hmm. give somebody else and receive that that's a huge piece it's not take it's receive you receive from somebody else what they have more than enough of to share with you because in any relationship that's taking that suggests that's it's, it's aggressive which and again anything harsh aggressive like that People with anxiety, we don't need that. Our nervous systems are afraid. We need to rebuild our nervous systems. We need cozy. We need comfort. We need soft. We need gentle. So anything aggressive like take, that suggests they're taking from you, either without your permission or something that you don't have enough of for yourself. So a true support is, it, it will be, it's sustainable. It'll be sustainable for you, for your energy you're not giving 110 percent i would say a small but solid support crew that's what i call it your support crew to you know you have your support your spirit team and then your support crew so the spirit team is like your heavenly realm your support crew is your earthly realm Mm -hmm. i would say a small but like a small solid support crew is better than a large unsupport and having you know so having a few supportive friends supportive people um in creating your own support crew is better than like having you know someone that has like a ton of friends but very superficial relationships and i would say on your healing path if you are somebody that has you're finding yourself also surrounded in these toxic relationships i highly recommend just finding one person and be it a friend who's obvious a friend or parent somebody who obviously is not narcissistic or a counselor a coach therapist Mm -hmm. you need at least one person in your corner who is going to support you fully unconditionally somebody who sees the light in you you just need one person and that one person in your corner can help you turn things around and they can make all the difference. So the the ultimate, what I see is the ultimate goal of a support crew is relationship harmony. Where 
you have open and honest communication and mutually and mutually supportive of mm, each other. Right. So, and as you're healing, the next thing to talk about is I'm talking about is your cocoon. And as you're healing and as you're peeling back all these layers and as you're seeing through illusions and as you're kind of figuring out in your life who's supportive of you, who's not, what are the toxic relationships? What are the dysfunctional relationships? You're kind of going to be going through like a metamorphosis, like a, that's why I say like a cocoon, like a butterfly, your caterpillar going in to a cocoon for this huge transformation to take place. And it will feel uncomfortable and it will feel messy and you will feel vulnerable and you'll feel like emotionally naked. And, and, and these are all, this is normal. This is okay. This is part of the healing process. But I highly recommend having a space, whether it's a corner in a room, a closet, um, if you have like your own your own room, something maybe maybe it's your car. Have a space that's just for you, and you fix it up, decorate, make it as cozy as possible. And when you're feeling like this, that will be your space to turn to, where you feel you will feel comforted and you will feel held during this process. And like I said, these, these feelings of feeling like exposed and just like kind of like raw, it is uncomfortable, but it is necessary and it's also temporary because this is how you're going to rebuild your nervous system. This is how you're going to rebuild your life that frees you from anxiety and dysfunction. And what happened for me is this time of like shedding all this dysfunction in my life and my for me my my um my cocoon was my office yeah that's where we're sitting and recording right now right we got i mean the, the color on the walls is is your color and the light's really nice and it's cozy and well, even before we started the podcast what'd you say oh i mean i always talk about how cozy your office is and yeah how i like your your office is really nice and and before we started the podcast, he's like, I love your office. Yeah. And, you know, and I kind of have uh, maybe even a couple spaces, you know, like my workshop in the basement, and which is totally different, right? It's it's in the basement and it's so there's no windows. And but at the same time, it's got all these tools. It's got all this this wood, raw, you know, raw wood and materials. It can be it can be there's just all this potential. And that's really nice for me, too. So it's it's whatever your space is that. Uh, that works for you. Like I said, it can even be just maybe even a good book that you like and find a spot to sit and read, you know? Mm -hmm. So I've noticed like the time in my cocoon and like I said, at times, you know, I felt lonely and what happened was I was so comfortable. I became, you know, I realized I need my downtime. I need my alone time. I need that's just, I think, because of everything. And it's just part of who I am as well. I need that. And that's also that quietness, that alone time, that it helps to rebuild my nervous system. But I was finding that I'm actually quite comfortable spending time by myself. And I actually enjoy it. I, I have, sometimes I read a book, sometimes I paint, you know, obviously I write. And it may, 
you know, while I'm doing these things that bring me joy and I'm enjoying spending time by myself, I no longer make any compromise. I will no, no longer compromise my time for anything that doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Anything that is dysfunctional. Because being comfortable on your own means there's no void to fill. Right. So I don't know how else to <laughs> say that. No, I think it says it. That's a great way to say it. Yes. Yeah, so, so being on your own sets the standard for anybody else who's going to come into your life. They have to, their energy has to equal the energy of how you feel on your own. Otherwise, you, you kind of learn, kind of train yourself to what it feels like. And anybody that doesn't bring that energy, it just there's no room. You, you can't make any more compromises for people like that. Right. And uh, you deserve this. You deserve to have, to be fully supported spiritually, emotionally, physically. You deserve this. And you, you deserve essentially the whole loaf. Right. So this is, uh, again, from the chapter from my book. I'm just going to read this this section from my book about what I about my experience at the cocoon. So I had a lifelong destructive pattern of people-pleasing that I brought into my cocoon. While it, while it served other, others well, it was destroying me as my voice was getting drowned out by the needs of others. On my journey to boldly trusting myself, I had to drop the unsupportive and toxic relationships around me while I was in my cocoon. In my cocoon, the darkness I faced was the, fa- the fear of being alone. I had to face the fear that in doing what was right for me and my family, I would upset others. I had to let go of trying to control the feelings of others. I spent a couple of years in my cocoon finally hearing myself and emerged knowing my worth. I stopped putting the thoughts and feelings of other people before my, before my own. As a butterfly stepping into my life, I now invest in me. I do things that light me up. I only do things when it's a definite yes, and I've learned how to say no. So you deserve this kind of support. Know you are fully supported. Welcome your spirit team to help you take those steps to develop a solid support crew. You deserve this. Lots of love. Have a great day.